Well, we are back in our sermon series talking about being transformed, how to experience the supernatural life in Christ. And where we've turned the corner in our study is that we've discovered that as God works in us, we are to work that out. That's a biblical principle. We work out what God works in. And it's when that dynamic is taking place in our lives, that's when we grow spiritually, that's when we're transformed, and that's when we experience supernatural life in Christ. We work out what God works in. Last week we talked about one of the ways we work out what God works in is through intentional obedience. And today what I want to describe from God's word is that we work out what God works in through personal ministry, through service. Now, to get started, I want to give you a definition of what I mean when I talk about personal ministry. Based on scripture, personal ministry is this, regular and ongoing service for Jesus that is motivated by the love and victory of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and expressed through specific acts of service to the least of these, and through using our spiritual gifts in the church as a stewardship of God's grace. Now that definition is a mouthful, so I wanna unpack it looking at the scriptures, but before I do, let me just take a straw poll, all right? So, here's the straw poll. With a show of hands, how many of you here have been personally encouraged, served, or blessed by some other person in your journey for Christ. Someone else has actually helped you grow in your journey for Christ. Okay, raise your hand up, just keep your hand up. Now look around. Virtually every person here has their hand up. Personal ministry is helping somebody else grow in their spiritual journey. It might be helping them in in discovering that they're on a journey. It might be helping them take those first steps in their journey. It might be helping them as they're walking and growing in that journey. It might be direct. It might be indirect. It might be prayer support. It might be financial support. It might be teaching scripture. It might be uh, hosting a small group. It might be serving them at church. It might be praying for them as they're on a mission trip. The point is, it's personal ministry, and it's working out what God works in. It's working out what God works in. We work out what God works in through personal ministry. It's not passive spectator Christianity. We're actually on the team. And not only on the team, we're on the field, we're playing in the game. That's what it means to be involved in personal ministry. On the other hand, it's not codependent busyness. You know, we're we're doing all these service things because we're trying to get something out of it. No, it's it's in that sweet spot of us working out what God works in. Us working out what what God works in. So let's look at the word and see how scripture clearly defines this this expression of of, uh, following Jesus and experiencing spiritual transformation as we work out what God works in. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers, servants of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
Here the Apostle Paul is talking about that our confidence as, as Christ followers is not from ourselves. It's not what we bring to the table. It's not, you know, based upon our personality or based upon where we went to college or based upon our resume or based upon uh, the, the skill sets that we personally possess. No, our confidence in, in living the Christian life is what the Holy Spirit has done for us. That he, he lives in our lives and he's given us new life in Christ and he's actually called us to be servants. Uh, the, the term here where it says we are ministers of a new covenant is the Greek word diakonos, which is a word for servants. That's who we are. So this is really a statement about our, our spiritual identity. We are indwelt by the spirit and we are servants of the new covenant. And so our Working out in service is merely the natural expression of God having worked in us, you see? So we work out what God works in because we are servants who've been made adequate, competent, sufficient by God's Spirit living inside of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 to 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 to 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the final two verses of a chapter that is exclusively describing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's what the whole chapter is all about. It's the resurrection chapter. And so when Paul, who's the author here, writes, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, he's, re- he's relating that victory through the resurrection of Jesus. Every believer in Christ is a beneficiary of the resurrection of Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, their sins are forgiven. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, they have new spiritual life. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, they're on their way to heaven. They're going to be resurrected. That's the victory that we have. So you, as a follower of Christ, have victory. And, and the good news for, for those of us who might be here as, uh, as friends, as guests, as seekers, as, as people trying to understand what Christianity is all about, what this, what this promises is it, there's victory for you if you would open up your life to Christ. If you would believe in Jesus, you experience his resurrection victory. Then Paul says in verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers. Now, you know, the old phrase, whenever you see a therefore, you want to ask what it's there for. That term, therefore, is always a transition term. It's relating to what has just been said to now the encouragement or the exhortation about what is going to be said. Well, what has just been said? We got the victory of Jesus Christ going for us. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. That, that's a strong statement about a strong commitment. I mean, even the way Paul phrases it, be steadfast and immovable. Not just be steadfast, but steadfast and immovable. In other words, be totally pursuing and unwavering in this commitment. And what is the commitment? To be serving the Lord. To be doing the work of the Lord. 
to be laboring in the Lord. And as you're doing it, be fully aware that everything you're doing matters. It counts. It's purposeful. It's significant. It's never wasted. It's never in vain. Any service you do in the name of Christ is never in vain. And what Paul is trying to say, because a lot of the the letters of the New Testament written by Paul are kind of giving us a spiritual logic. And so if you're If you're wired to be a little more analytical, here's the logic. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead gives you victory. And the logical response to that victory is to be serving the Lord. The Christian life doesn't make any sense to not be serving the Lord based upon the resurrection of Jesus. But because the resurrection really has happened, it makes total sense. In fact, it's the most logical thing to actively be involved in serving the Lord. See, we work out. What God works in. We work out what God works in. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This passage says we have been called to freedom. We've been called to freedom. We had a conversation just yesterday with uh, with our daughter. She's finishing up at the University of Alabama. In four more weeks, I will have no more tuition payments. Hallelujah! And she's talking about... She's leading a Bible study in her sorority, and uh, one of the gals that uh, is in her Bible study is one of her friends that she's had these past four years, she's gotten really close with, but uh, has has not yet crossed the line and given her life to Christ, but is really close. And our daughter Ashton was sharing how in in the study they were talking about uh, what the Christian experience is all about, and this, this, this girl made the comment that she really had this misconception that Christianity was super confining and, and there were all kinds of the rules and regulations. And this very verse, she said, this is awesome because what it says is not the very opposite. Jesus actually came to set us free. But then we are to use that freedom in a responsible way by serving others. And, and, and that just really resonated with her. That, that made sense to be set free, but not to be set free to be selfish, but to be set free to be a servant. That's what the passage is saying. See, we have been set free, but we've been set free in order to be servants. Uh, I, I mentioned that uh, we had a, a going away party for, for Graham and Minnie, and at the party they had a friend there that I'd never met before, and he's from Scotland. So I, I walked up to him because he has this Scottish brogue, and I said, could you do me a favor? He said, sure, what? I go, repeat this phrase. You're already laughing. What we, you, do you, know, you know your pastor, don't you? I said, and I want you to say it with gusto. And he said, sure, what? I go, I want you to say, you can take our lives. But you can't take our freedom. He got a big smile. You can take our lives, but you can't take our freedom. I said, yeah, see, we have freedom in Jesus Christ, but that freedom is to serve. You see, God works in, we work it out. God works in, we work it out. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. This 
This passage, I have to tell you, continually speaks to me. And, and, I, and I'd read this passage many times for many years, but it really, just some time back, uh, God really grabbed a hold of me uh, with this passage in terms of who we are as a church and what we need to be about as a church. Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. This this is an amazing passage. This is Jesus teaching, and the context is everything. It says, um, when the Son of Man comes, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ, and he's coming back as the king, and he's sitting on his throne. And, and all the nations, all the people are gathered before him, and he separates them, which only the king and the judge can do. And to those who've been separated off, who are his sheep, he says, this is the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Your, your inheritance, your eternal blessing. And then he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was uh, thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I, I, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you, and you visited me. And they said, when did that ever happen, Lord? And he said, when you've done it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you, you've actually done it to me. And you see, we know with certainty based on the teaching of the Bible, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is the saved are servants. The saved are servants. See, he could have just as easily said, because you put your faith in me, come into the joy of your master. But he put it not on what got them into the relationship, but what was the outworking of the relationship, their service. See, we who know Christ are servants, and, and we, we demonstrate that, we work that out through actually serving. First Corinthians chapter 12. I'm trying to unpack all these scriptures to let you know this isn't just a peripheral truth, this idea that we work out what God works in through personal ministry. This isn't a peripheral truth. This isn't some you know, new law that you need to feel obligated and burdened by. This isn't just the hobby horse that I'm on. This is just biblical theology. This is just 
This is what the Christian life is to be about. This is how we experience transformation. This is how we can actually step into experiencing the supernatural life of Jesus by working out what God works in. And, and we, he's worked it in in all these ways. We, we've unpacked that for many, many weeks by the grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, the new life that we have in Christ, all of the things that Jesus pours into us. We work that out in, in personal ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 7. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't, I don't want you to be uninformed um, it, it's the Greek word agnosis. Gnosis is knowledge. Agnosis is no knowledge. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Let me tell you what's going on. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the, in, in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of energized results, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This passage tells us that the Holy Spirit is the source of spiritual life and the giver of spiritual gifts. You see, God works in. We saw the very first verse that we looked at. We have been made servants of a new covenant of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has come into our lives. God has worked in us, given us a whole new internal structure, a new nature. The Holy Spirit indwells us as followers of Jesus Christ. And part of what the Holy Spirit has given to us is he's given us spiritual gifts, manifestations of the Spirit. We, we have now in our kind of toolbox certain gifts that we didn't have before we came to know Jesus. But not only that, he, he says the Holy Spirit is, is the one who not only gives us different gifts, he, he, he produces different ministries, different venues through which we express our gifts. And he says the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers the energized results. So the, the change that happens in people's lives is produced by the Holy Spirit. So here's, God works in. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He, he provides different ministries to express the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he produces the results of our faithful service. See, we work out what, what God works in. Now, it's possible. It's not the... the the, the norm, and it's not really the, the paradigm that God desires, but it's possible that, that you have spiritual gifts that are, that are dormant. In other words, you have them, but you don't even, you don't even know that you have them. One of, my, one of my favorite heroes growing up was the world's strongest man. His name was Paul Anderson. And still in the Guinness Book of World Records, Paul Anderson holds the 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 record for the most weight ever lifted off the ground. He did a back lift. They put it on a stage, all this weight, and he got underneath it, and he, and he, he lifted it up like that. The most weight ever lifted by a, by a human being. That was Paul Anderson. But for a long time, Paul Anderson was known. He was the Olympic uh, heavyweight uh, weightlifting champion, defeating the Russians. Uh, and, and he used to do these exhibitions where he would take 
250-pound dumbbells and put them up like this and then alternately press them above his head. He used to take big spikes and drive it through wood. He did all these strongman competitions, and he was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he would leverage his strength exhibition to talk about Jesus. Paul Anderson, though, grew up at a time when weightlifting and weight training was considered counterproductive to athletic performance. Because the idea was that you're going to get muscle bound and it won't help you be successful in your sport. Paul Anderson grew up playing football and he got a scholarship to go play football. He's a fullback. And the coach wouldn't let any of the players lift weights because it was like you're going to get muscle bound and it'll slow you down and you won't be able to be flexible and play your sport. Um, But he knew somebody who uh, had a, a full set of weights in his garage, and they invited Paul Anderson over to the over to the house. And Paul Anderson was watching the guy work out, and uh, said, "How much weight do you have?" And they, they, he he could put 300 pounds on the bar. And so Paul Anderson uh, took the 300 pounds on the bar, and then with no warm up, no exercise, no previous weight training at all, he did 10 full squats, going all the way down and all the way back up. 10. Now, just to put that into a context. This was back in the early 50s. So today, where we've, they've got the science of, of weightlifting down and training and down, a, a college football player, the average col- college football player couldn't do that today. Just 10 full squats with 300 pounds. Paul Anderson did it, having never even worked out with weights ever in his life. And, and the friend said, my gosh, you know, I've never even seen anybody that strong. And it launched Paul against the objections of his football coach to start training in weightlifting. And within a year, within a year, he was on the Olympic weightlifting team, competed in the Olympics and defeated the Russians and was the world's strongest man. He had just unbelievable genetics. The dude had just the genetics that all he needed to do was work out. And he was the world's strongest man. See, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got some spiritual genetics going for you. But you need to work out. You need to work it out. Because the Holy Spirit has given you spiritual gifts. He creates spiritual ministries, and he produces spiritual results. But you've got to work it out. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, starting verse 11. And he gave, that he's talking about Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That's Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see what this passage is saying? This passage is saying God gives certain gifted people the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. They, they do their personal ministry. They work out what God has worked within them by equipping other people. 
And then the other people who are equipped, they do the work of the ministry. And then as the equippers are equipping and those who are equipped are doing the work of the ministry, the whole body grows into Christ. The whole body matures. The whole body gets filled with grace and love. The whole body functions the way it's supposed to function. And as a result, the whole body is healthy and grows. See, believe it or not, the way God designed the church, the way God designed Crossline Church, believe it or not, your service or lack of service actually affects the health of this body and actually affects the growth of this body. See, um, if I said to you, I'm 90% healthy. Now, my liver isn't functioning and, and my pancreas doesn't work very well, but other than that, I am healthy. What, what would you think? You'd say, dude, you're deceived and you need to see a doctor because you ain't healthy. See, the church is a lot like that based on Jesus' analogy and description. We're a body. Every member functioning is a healthy body, but if we got some, if we got some dysfunctional members, dysfunctional because they're not serving, they're not doing their part, well, we're not healthy. And if we're not healthy, we can't be growing. But Jesus has designed the church to be healthy and growing. So we matter. Each one of us matters to the health and growth of this, of this church, Christ church. So this passage is talking about how, how, we, um, how we are to function. Because, see, there's a difference between, you know, being in the stands versus actually being in the game. There's even a difference between standing on the sidelines versus being in a game. I told you this story before. You know, when I was a freshman in college, I, 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 we were playing a game. It was like November. It had been raining all week, and it was totally muddy out on the field. But, you know, I, I, I wasn't getting in the game. And I was standing on the sideline, and I was looking at all the guys playing in the game, and they, their jerseys were all muddied. And then I look at the stands, and I thought, man, you look down on the field, and you can tell the guys who are playing versus the guys who aren't playing. So I walked over to the end of the field where there was a big pile of mud and I began to smear mud all over my jersey. Now that, that's probably insightful as to my own character, uh, but <laughs> see, all of us should have muddy jerseys because we matter to the team and we should be playing, right? So we work out what God works in. We work it out and as we work it out, it causes the whole church to be healthy and to grow. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Uh, whoever speaks as one who speaks the very words of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have received grace from God. From beginning to end, our relationship with God is all about grace. That was one of the, I think that was the first message that we actually talked about in this series of being transformed and, and the supernatural life that we have in Christ is, is that it's all about grace. God took the initiative to pour grace into our lives. God saved us by grace. We've received grace. And in this passage, what it's talking about is being a steward of grace. 
or a manager of grace. See, because the grace that God has given to every believer is, is multifaceted. And one facet of that grace that's been given to us is the spiritual gifts we received. So the, the spiritual gift that you have as a, as a believer, that's a gift of grace. It's, it's the word charismata, a gift of grace. What, what are we doing with, with, the, with the gift of grace that God has given to us? And this passage is talking about how we should be uh, using that gift of grace by serving one another. We work out what God works in. God worked in us by grace. We work it out by serving, by that same grace that's, that's worked into us. And then Peter says, um, if you're a speaker, speak. And if you're a server, serve. He basically takes all the spiritual gifts that are, are in, in, in the Bible and says they're, they're, they, they break down into two categories. There, there are speakers and there are servers. And so if God has designed you and gifted you with grace to be a speaker, then you speak. And if God has designed you and given you the gift of grace to be a server, well, then you serve. And both of them glorify God. Now, you may be kind of wondering, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not, I'm not yet clear as to how God has really designed me and what spiritual gifts I, I, I may have. And so your thinking might be, I'm just going to wait until I figure it out, and then I'll start serving. Now, see, that's, that's, that doesn't work. That's not being a good steward. You figure out how God's designed you by serving. That's how you figure it out. I was talking to, to my father-in-law, Coach Riley, about this because I remember he told me this story. You know, he was a Division I football coach his, almost uh, the entirety of his professional career. And one of his great skills as a coach was discerning the talent of players. So they, they recruit high school players that may play a certain position in high school, but then when they get to college, they, they discover, you know, that's what you played in high school, but that's not what your best position is. And I remember he told me about a guy that they had recruited uh, who was a quarterback in high school. And when he got to college, he said, you know what? You're really not a quarterback. You're a defensive end. That's a big difference. <laughs> so I imagine the guy goes, no, I'm, I'm a quarterback. But coach, you know, coach said, no, you're, you're, you're a defensive end. So they switched him to defensive end, and he ended up being an all-pro defensive end named Pat Toomey. Because Coach Riley saw, you're a defensive end, not a quarterback. But get this. He discovered that because he was playing football. He was playing football. That's how he figured out the best position. Don't sit and wait to figure out what my position is. Work out what God has worked in. Serve in all kinds of opportunities, and that's how you'll figure it out. Serve as a speaker. Serve as a server. Serve in all kinds of ways, and then it'll become clear. This is how God's designed me, and then you get in that sweet spot of you're really working it out the way God has worked it in according to the particular gifts that God has given to you. But we steward the grace that God has given to us by being servants. We work it out what, what God has worked in. Let's look at one more passage. Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may test and approve 
and discern what is the will of God, that good and acceptable, perfect will. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members of the body do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes financially in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See, we're a body, and we, we serve as each member of the body participates according to their unique design, according to, to their spiritual gift. God's graced us to serve. We work out what what God works in. And we work it out through specific acts of service according to our spiritual gifts. And this passage mentions eight particular, or, or excuse me, seven particular spiritual gifts. It mentions prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, uh, contributing, leading, and acts of mercy. You might, you might think about these, just it, this is a humorous analogy. Uh, there's a church dinner. And... Uh, there, people are gathered together at the church dinner, and uh, you know someone prays, and they start to eat, and as they, they start to eat, uh, someone accidentally knocks over their water glass and spills water on the table. One person sitting at the table has the gift of prophecy. They say, well, if you'd been more careful, you wouldn't have knocked that water glass over. You should really watch the way you reach for water because they're a truth teller. They're prophetically speaking. What, what was wrong with the act? Um, the person with the gift of service immediately jumps up and says, I'm going to get a towel, and I'll come back and I'll clean up the water. I'll, I'll, I'll wipe it down. The, the person with uh, the gift of teaching is looking at it going, you know, it's really interesting. I think that water glass fell over because there was, there was a certain amount of water, and as it tipped, it displaced itself, and the pressure caused it to fall over. That's what happens when water glasses kind of tip that way with that kind of water inside of them. And, and then the person with the gift of uh, exhortation says, you know, that's okay. I've dumped uh, water glasses myself, but if you would like some help on how you're supposed to reach for water glasses in the future, I'd be glad to get together with you and show you how you can actually reach and knock, knock water glasses over. And then someone with the gift of uh, contribution says, you know what, I, I'll, I'll pay for all the dry cleaning of the tablecloth and everything, so it's not going to be, you know, not going to cost the church anything. I'll make sure I, I pay for that. And someone with the gift of leadership says, okay, you go grab a towel and you grab another water glass and you uh, make sure that uh, everything's cleaned up on the table. And then the person with the gift of mercy just comes alongside and puts their arm around him and says, man, I know that really feels bad. It's okay. Do you want to talk about it? Um, the whole time, the person with the gift of evangelism has been sharing the gospel with the friend that got invited and wasn't a believer. You see, so basically our spiritual gifts demonstrate themselves on how we act and react to life's opportunities. Because all of those responses have a certain legitimacy and maybe each of us kind of saw ourselves 
in each one of those responses. See, God has designed us in the body of Christ with spiritual gifts, and what are we supposed to do with those spiritual gifts? Use them in serving, because we work out what God works in. So let's go back to the definition of personal ministry. Regular and ongoing service for Jesus that is motivated by the love and victory of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and expressed through specific acts of service to the least of these, and through using our spiritual gifts in the church as stewardship of God's grace. So from these scriptures, here here were the clear imperatives. Number one, we should receive our identity as spirit-indwelt servants. Number two, we should be steadfast, always serving the Lord, always loving others through our service. Number three, we should serve the least of these in practical ways that meet their needs. Number four, we should experience the work of the Holy Spirit, discover the manifestation of the Spirit within us, and the particular ministry the Holy Spirit's called us to. Number five, we should do our part according to our gift to contribute to the body in order to help the whole body grow and be healthy. Number six, we should steward God's grace by serving others with our gifts. And number seven, we should find specific ways that we can use our gifts and actually use them to be contributing members of Christ's team. So we're going to leave church here, and we're going to start doing our life. So how does this impact us? Well, let me just give you some real examples in closing. Um, You're at work this week, and a coworker shares a real crisis or a burden that they're going through. Take the initiative and say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you about that? You're working out at the gym with a buddy of yours, and you're where they, don't, they don't know the Lord. Invite them to church and share your story of how Jesus has changed your life. You hear about what we're doing with with. Uh, sending out all of these teams of people in mission trips to Haiti. We're spent sending out 11 teams this year. Contribute above your regular tithe and giving to the church. Contribute to financially support the mission's outreach of this church. Um, you, you, you know somebody within your sphere of influence is a single mom with a couple of kids and trying to wrestle all the things that go into that. Come alongside her and help. Help clean her house. Help babysit her kids help. You know that we have a food pantry over here that every week we're feeding about 500 people. Over 100 families come and get food. Volunteer to come serve in our food pantry. Be, be, be a person who's actually helping others that way. Or volunteer in the food pantry to be one, someone who comes alongside and prays for people. We, we desperately need people who not only just kind of do the logistics of getting food out to people, but who are praying for people who come and asking God's blessing on their lives. Open up your home to, to start a, a small group. Be a host. Say, you know what? I'll provide some, some drinks and some food and a, a place to, to meet and Invite some neighbors and friends and folks from the church to come together for a community group. Pastor Kenny would certainly love to equip you on how to, how to make that successful. Um, we need 50 adults to help us serve on Sunday nights with Summit. Say, I'll make a six-month commitment to, to come on Sunday nights to worship the Lord and just help this worship service be launched in Jesus' name to reach young adults for Christ.
Um, we're always needing folks to volunteer to help out game day, to be teachers with our children, or this summer with Vacation Bible School, TVBS, to, to serve for a week. Uh, we're going to be sending a couple hundred kids this summer to Hume Lake. We need some folks who will volunteer to be counselors with our youth and with our middle school and high schoolers. we got a bunch of young couples here in this church who would love to learn from some seasoned veteran couples about how to have a successful marriage, how to work through conflict, how to do life in Jesus' name. Mentor a young couple. Um, we've got an A team, our altar team. These are, these are men and women who are trained to help people when they make a decision for Christ, how to help them grow spiritually, how to help them walk with the Lord, how to help them get connected with the church. We need people who will, who will be part of our, our A team and help follow up new people, especially as we move into April with all the people we can anticipate that are going to be giving their lives to Christ at, at, at uh, Easter and at Beast Feast. We need some more volunteers who would personally disciple and help a new convert grow as a follower of Christ. Um, we have 11 mission trips going out. Maybe God's calling you to serve on one of our mission teams and, and take a week and go to Haiti and serve for a week. In, in outreach and, and prayer and ministry to the least of these. We have a hospitality team of people, who, part of our care ministry. So when someone is sick or when someone is going through a crisis or when someone has some uh, type of need, they come alongside, make a meal and pray for them and just care for people. Maybe God's calling you to volunteer and be part of our, our care ministry. We've got a prayer team. Tony Jonas leads up our prayer ministry. And, and we, we need people who have a real gift of faith and heart of prayer and want to pray for people that God would do miracles in, in, in their lives. We serve regularly in Santa Ana, partner with the church Oasis, where we go out on Sunday mornings. We make a meal. We, we share the gospel and the love of Christ with people. And we help Oasis Church as a, as a church that we're helping to connect people to, that they might grow and flourish in the city of Santa Ana. Maybe God's saying, I'm going to serve on on that Oasis outreach team. We have an Hispanic church here, Crossline Espanol, and uh, this Saturday we're going to be going out in an apartment and and knocking on doors and inviting people to Easter services and sharing the good news of salvation, and maybe God's calling you to help our our Spanish service in some way uh, as part of your your service to help that congregation flourish and be be healthy. Um, We are installing two new people on our elder team, and maybe God is calling you in the future to serve as an elder in this church. And you'd like to find out, how can I, how can I do that? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if anyone aspires to the office of elder seer, it's a good work that they aspire to. See, all I'm saying is life inside and outside the church has all kinds of opportunities to serve. Are we working out what God works in, in regular personal ministry? Are we working out what God works in? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for these, uh, these rich opportunities to, uh, to work out our faith, to, to share the grace that's been given to us, to live in the Spirit as the Spirit lives inside of us, to uh, help the whole church be healthy and grow as a functioning member. Father, I, I pray for each of us here, wherever we are in the spiritual journey, we, we make sure that we are receiving from you, first and foremost, by asking Jesus into our lives and living every day, receiving from the Holy Spirit all that you do to make us strong. But then may we also take that next step of work out what, what you've worked in 
by being servants because that's who we are. You, you've called us to be servants. It's our identity. So may we serve. May every person here have eyes to see and a heart to obey in actually serving you. And I ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.